So welcome to the Cycle Systems Academy podcast. Um, we're still in lockdown, but half of my village seems to think they're not in lockdown anymore and going on as normal. So it's all a bit strange. Um, we are continuing our series of interviews with inspirational Cycle Systems Academy graduates. And one person I've been wanting to speak to for quite a long time is Jem Stein from The Bike Project. So Jem, really welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So essentially, I really want to get into what The Bike Project is and what it does, etc. And for anyone that's not heard of you, The Bike Project is um, an amazing scheme which provides recycled bikes to refugees, which is a uh, a really important part of people actually having freedom and movement while they're here uh, claiming asylum. But before we really get into the project itself, tell us about your life before the bike project, how you came up with a vision, and then what led you to us Cycle Systems Academy? Sure, so I was a student in London and when I was a student, I joined a befriending scheme for unaccompanied asylum seekers. And I met a boy through that called Adam. Adam was from Darfur, which is in the west of Sudan. And Adam and her, um, had escaped terrible genocide there and arrived here aged just 16. And when he arrived, he applied for asylum. And that means he's basically saying, I'm a refugee, I'm fleeing persecution I'm fleeing for my life and I, I need safekeeping essentially here I need to be safe in the UK and during that time while he's applying he's an asylum seeker that means he gets 36 pounds per week to live off and is not allowed to work and he was placed in very poor accommodation in the outskirts of London and for those of you who know London will know that transport in London public transport is very expensive a bus pass by itself is £21 a week. You can spend six, seven pounds just getting to and from London. So if you've only got £36 a week to live off and you're not allowed to work, getting around is a big challenge. So one of the first things I did when I met him was I got him an old bike. And it was just, you know, my brother's old bike. And that really was the first step into normal living for him because all of a sudden he could access education, healthcare, psychological support, other charities. We could go on rides together. We could access all sorts of fun things. He could see friends. And it really was a transformative moment for him. Now, that got me thinking. And when I graduated, I worked for a different charity. And I started the bike project in my spare time. We just collected bikes in the garden, did them up in a fairly disorganized, haphazard sort of way, and donated them to a local refugee charity. And once I realized that was getting a bit of traction, I, I did a bit of digging and I did some research and I found that according to Transport for London, every year 27,000 bikes are abandoned in London. And at the same time, it varies every year, but around 25 to 30,000 asylum seekers arrive in the UK. So you had the supply of an excess resource in the form of a bike and demand from people that needed them in the form of asylum seekers and refugees. So to cut a long story short, I ended up leaving my job and starting the bike project. And one of the first things I decided, well, literally the first thing, my very, very first day working full time on the bike project was at Cycle Systems Academy, uh, trained to be a bike mechanic. So that's how I, I ended up 
coming across you and, and Cycle Systems. And you train with us way, way back now when we were based in London. It kind of feels like a different, another life. Well, it was a different life, mm -hmm. really, when we had the academy up there. So what was your experience then from playing with bikes in the garden to becoming a professional mechanic to then take into the bike project to the next level? Because the bike project was remarkable in its ascendancy. You had some very weighty backers and you seem to become one of the um cornerstones of sort of social enterprise and bicycle charity in london very quickly so how did that happen yeah it's interesting so uh i started at cycle systems academy and um you know trained as a bike mechanic and and you know it was actually it was it was really tough because you know i wasn't anywhere near as experienced or as much practice as the other guys on the course and yeah, it was it was a pretty it, it it was tough and it was a great learning about bikes and learning about the business. But I think actually what I realised at the end of it was that this was a really useful experience. But really, we need to employ professional mechanics with a bit more experience than me. I mean, I still worked as a mechanic for the bike project for a bit, and I still do bits and bobs. But really, you know, it's a very specialist skill, requires a lot of training, and and actually the the good experience there was to learn all about bikes and and all about the subject but you know i realized that maybe bike mechanics wasn't for me um but that was a good thing i think because that meant i could focus on the business and not get bogged down too much in the day-to-day -day of, of of fixing bikes and i think that allowed us to bring on more backers and more supporters and and really helped with, with um you know promoting the bike project i think you know in terms of how we've grown i suppose sort of a difficult question to answer i suppose we just had a really simple business plan um a really simple model we collect old bikes we refurbish them we donate about two-thirds to refugees in london and we recently launched in birmingham too and we sell around a third through our website to anyone that, that wants it and that helps fund what we do and there was a we developed quite a virtuous circle because our sales were going really well we were, we're online we're still quite a unique offering in the sense that we offer a refurbished bike with a guarantee that's from a secure source refurbished by professional mechanics. And we offer free delivery to anywhere in the UK. Um, and that was, that's been really successful. And at the same time, funders, our, you know, our philanthropic side really like that and help support us. So the more money we generated through our sales, the more people wanted to kind of support us um, with philanthropic money as well. So. I think the two went hand in hand quite nicely and still and still do to be honest well it's it seems to be an incredible balance because i've worked for bike recycling charities that went under because the business model didn't stack up um i've worked for local community bike shops that have wanted to do more charity-based work but couldn't have that fit in with the need you know to make money day to day because you know, most bike shops haven't got lots of excess cash. So it's a, it's a really wonderful um, success story with the bike project. And I must admit, watching some of the videos that you produced and reading some of the personal stories, even if you can afford the tubes and the buses or a car and you can get around the city to cycle, especially somewhere like London or Birmingham, which is vast, isn't it? You know, Birmingham, West yeah. Midlands is huge place and up till recently it was quite an unpleasant place to cycle and um i know it's got better recently 
but for someone living on £37 a week in London, I mean, for anyone to really think about that, that's quite staggering. To have that ability is quite something. So as well as giving refugees bikes, you do training, don't you, mechanical training so they can look after their bikes? Yeah, so we have a, a mechanical, we, we do vo offer volunteering. So as an asylum seeker, you're not allowed to work. Mm -hmm. And so we offer the opportunity to learn, train to be a bike mechanic. Well, not train officially, not an accredited course, but, you know, offer some basic bike mechanics training. And we've had refugees who've done really well at it. We employ a refugee as a bike mechanic. He's worked for us for a few years and lots of others continue to volunteer for us. So it's been a really, that's been a really successful program. And we also do the same with cycle instructors. Fantastic. So there seems to be so many amazing individual stories from refugees that have come through the bike project, particularly the chap who is now working for you when he got his successful asylum application. But tell us one or two of the really amazing stories that highlights the work that Bike Project does. So, yeah, one of the stories that we like to tell is about a woman called Clarence. Clarence, uh, a female asylum seeker who we work with. It's not her real name. She fled a country in the west of Africa, pursued by people in the local area. Um, she went with a guardian who then tried to attack her on the plane and she managed to escape at the airport when she arrived in the UK and and did you know really well to escape those people but had arrived in the UK with literally nothing and never ridden a bike before and she attended one of our women cycling classes we we call the project pedal power where we teach refugee women to cycle who've never cycled before and she learned to cycle and it was really life-changing for her she accesses all sorts of new facilities new activities in London saves lots of money by cycling and really enjoys it. She also enjoyed it so much that she trained with us to be a cycle instructor. So now she teaches other women to cycle and actually she was one of our participants in Ride London last year. So having gone from never cycling before to training as a cycle instructor and completing Ride London really is quite a phenomenal achievement. It is, that is amazing. And I, um, obviously like most people been watching a lot of YouTube and uh, Vimeo films and such lately. And the guest from a couple of weeks ago, um, Patrick Farnsworth um, from Bikes or Death, he was recommending various bikepacking films to watch. Though this week, uh, family, we, we all settled down to watch Ride the Divide, which is a wonderful Mike Dion film all about the Tour Divide in America, where they ride, you know, two and a half thousand miles across mountains. And you've got a lot of, you know, I guess, relatively well-off, healthy people destroying their bodies, you know, racing. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was watching this thinking, wow, you know, this is quite something. But, you know, imagine doing that with someone with a gun behind you, trying to kill you. you know? <laughs> and it, it just really made me think of the contrast between the very uh, privileged, comfortable lives that, that we live in the West. I mean, not to make light of problems that people face in their lives but you know to really think of that level of danger and fear and isolation it mm. really is humbling isn't it and mm. to have groups like yourselves which can turn people's lives around i think is really fantastic so 
the plight of refugees was really, really big um, when I first went to London around 2002. In fact, Julia used to work in the theatre and her first professional work in the theatre was a play called The Hunchback of Bethnal Green, which was run partly with professional and partly with uh, asylum seeking actors. And it was quite a big um, hit. It's quite an amazing thing. But that's another story. But it was really big in the um, press then, especially a lot of scaremongering and hate stories by the usual suspects in the press. And then again, with the huge waves of refugees in the last few years, it's been in the news. Uh, when Peter Sagan won his first road race, World Road Race Championship, he talked about the plight of refugees on the podium to say, well, look, sports sport but there's some major problems in europe now which i thought was very brave and beautiful um but it's not in the news right now partly because there's so much you know it's like do you remember when the news was boring <laughs> but of course does this mean the problem's gone away no definitely not you know there's still terrible things happening in the middle east still lots of people fleeing I think it's just become normalised now. Lots of people are still arriving in the UK. Lots of people are still fleeing terrible conflicts. And, you know, it's, there's still people in the UK who are living in terrible circumstances. So the problem is still very much there. It's just not as fresh and new. I think the one thing the refugee crisis did do was shine a light on it. When I first started the bike project, which was what well, we launched in March 2013, people didn't really know much about the problem um, people didn't know what an asylum seeker was when i said uh, we work with refugees they everyone assumed we sent bikes abroad no one ever really thought that there were refugees or asylum seekers living here in the uk and i suppose i don't really want to talk about the benefits of the refugee crisis but one of the things that the refugee crisis did was really shine a light on the problem and really galvanize a far greater spectrum a far wider spectrum of support from people who hadn't previously heard of the issue, but saw the images, saw the stories, heard the news and decided they want to do something about it. So it, it really helped raise the profile of the issue. Mm. Well, that is uh, that is something for sure. Um, I was going to ask you about the business model of the bike project, but you you very much answered that already, I think, very eloquently. But one thing I've noticed is Cycle Systems Academy, we're not a charity, we're not a, a kick, we're a private business, but we are a social enterprise and we move within that social enterprise work, which world rather. And the social enterprise world, as you know, has charities at one end of the spectrum, private businesses like us at the opposite end of the spectrum. But we're all working towards social change and social benefit and, and environmental benefit as well in many cases. But one thing I've noticed is in the times of austerity, when the government is basically cutting money to pretty much everything, both local authorities and private businesses are being encouraged to be social enterprises to actually replace vital publicly funded services. So while on the one hand, the social enterprise world is very positive and ethical. On the other hand, my opinion is that a lot of the social enterprise world is quite cynical exploitation and quite cynical passing on of the building blocks of society onto people who then have to make a profit out of running it as well. So 
uh, you know, it's a completely open question. Do you have to consider these sort of broader political questions in your work? Or is it something you find easy to remove yourself from and just get on with the day to day running? Yeah, look, it's it's an interesting question. Uh, Definitely. It's, you know, something to think about. I think the look, I think I'll talk specifically about the bike project rather than like the sector as a whole. I think the real challenge, the challenge is for refugee sector is there were massive cuts for across the whole third sector, social enterprise, charities, et cetera, that came in in, well, the immediate aftermath of 2010. And there was just never a chance that refugees would get back on the radar, I don't think. So we could either, you know, your options are you either kind of don't do anything in terms of providing a replacement and, you know, campaign on the basis that, well, look at this massive gap or you you start trying to fill the gap. And, you know, let's be it's no criticism of the social enterprise sector to say that, you know, we just can't, in times of austerity, we can't fill the gap to the same level that the government might have been previously providing services in. It's just not doable. We've all done our best under the circumstances, but it's just not, it's not possible. So I think, you know, I think for us, we just had to get on with it and try our best to, to support people who are, you know, victims of these policies rather than, you know, campaigning and, or, or not do anything on the basis that government, quote unquote, should be providing these services. So it's a, it's a difficult balance, but I think in the refugee sector, it's it's fairly clear cut. I think if you're working in, in other sectors, you might feel, well, there is a chance that the government may provide this service again at some point. And so for us to take that space may give them a reason not to. So it's a difficult balance, but um, I feel like the refugee sector, not for good reasons, is is probably a bit more clear cut than other ones. Mm, yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, when I was travelling over winter, I met um, an American woman through Irish, played traditional Irish music, and she also played uh, Mexican mariachi music. And she was saying she was quite disturbed with what's happening in America at the moment, socially and politically. And she realised she couldn't change everything. So what she does is go to the border because she lives right near the border of Mexico and a load of Mexican musicians come to the border on one side and Americans on the other and they jam together through the wall, as it were, yeah. which I thought was amazing. And I think, you know, everyone out there, wherever you're living or whatever you're doing, there's maybe an opportunity to counter negativity with some sort of positive action. And, you know, for me, cycle systems and training bike mechanics and helping people start new projects is 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 that really you know within the broader context of the world we find ourselves in so people listening um i hope will be inspired and interested in what the bike project's doing so if they were going to go to the bikeproject.co.uk or visit you in london or birmingham how can people support you because there seems to be quite a broad way um in which people can support and even get involved in with the bike project Sure. So we recently, I'd say the the best way you can support us at the moment is we recently launched a a new product called Virtual Doctor Bike. And so that's for people, if you're stuck at home and don't have access to a bike shop, you can book a video call with one of our bike mechanics to help you with any issues that you might have with your bike. 
we send you some tools in advance to help you fix it if you don't have them already. And yeah, essentially we teach you how to fix your own bike. It's a one-on-one -on -one video call, so they can help you work through any maintenance issues that you might have. How cool is that? I saw that yesterday on the website and I thought that is absolutely fantastic. Because you know, guys, having that one-on-one -on -one is so useful. And if people are gonna send you tools, what's not to like? Thanks. Brilliant. So of course, people can donate bikes to you. How do they donate bikes? So yeah, if you're in London or Birmingham and have a bike, then you can go on our website, thebikeproject.co.uk and you can donate, you can find your nearest dropper point and donate bikes. During this pandemic, lots of our dropper points have closed. So we're running pop-up drop-offs across both cities. So like little pop-ups basically where you can drop off your bike. So if you don't find a drop-off point close enough to you, then just sign up to our newsletter and we'll let you know when one is close enough for you. That's absolutely great. And um, how about, you know, financially if people want to donate to you? So yeah, you can just pop on our website. We've launched a um, a COVID-19 appeal where essentially we have ch had to change our model because of COVID-19 before refugees used to come to us uh, to get bikes. Now we are actually delivering to their homes so that they can still access a bike, but they don't have to take public transport to get to us. As we know, public transport is much riskier in terms of transmission than well, not taking it at all. So we're delivering it to homes, but that's costing us a bit more money. So you can go on and help support our appeal to donate bikes to refugees by delivering them to their homes in London and Birmingham. Well, that answers my next question as well, which was going to be the odd COVID question that's obviously changing everyone's lives. So essentially, in terms of the future for the bike project, what do you, you know you've just opened in birmingham which is fantastic so what do you envision so if you'd asked me this before this crisis hit you know i'd have laid out to you our pretty clear pretty simple vision to expand what we do to continue to provide more bikes to refugees to continue to sell more bikes to the, the public and, and meet that demand that we're seeing on both fronts both from customers and from beneficiaries when this crisis first hit, initially we were like, well, that, you know, that must scupper our plans. It's going to be a huge hit to the economy. It's going to be a huge hit to our day-to-day -day operations, just getting around. But actually, the way this crisis has unfolded, as I think it's clear to see for everyone now, is cycling is has already exploded. You know, we're seeing, we've never seen demand like it for bike sales and for our other services. And most bike shops that I know are reporting sales have gone through the roof they've never seen anything like it and that's only going to continue as people realize that public transport is more risky and as we start returning back to some kind of normality more and more people are going to want to cycle and not take public transport so this whole thing is you know it's really massively boosted cycling and tri it'll trigger and already has triggered a bit of a cycling revolution so we're revising our plans at the moment and thinking about how best to um, be a part of that to support that but also to you know what new business opportunities there might be coming out of that that we can use to generate more money and support more beneficiaries so we're, we're reviewing that at the moment but I think essentially we, we're looking to expand further expand more into bike servicing I think there's going to be a big demand there um, and also look into you know what other cities are doing are, are there more cities we can expand into through that as well. 
Well, um, unless you've got anything else you want to talk about, Jane, that feels like a really great place to leave it. Great. Awesome. No, that covers everything for me. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So uh, you mentioned the Bike Project's website. Do you want to repeat that and also tell us where people can find you on social media? Sure. So the website is thebikeproject.co.uk. You can just Google the Bike Project. And we're the underscore Bike Project on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. That's great. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jem. And for anyone listening, I'd really recommend that you, you know, you do check out the Bike Project. As I say, some of the videos they've got are awesome and fantastic. When we can do things like charity rides, again, you can do a charity ride for the Bike Project, Ride London, John O'Groats, Ride Ride London. They've got a team for Ride London, that kind of thing. And anyone that's not done the Ride London 100, it's one of the few sportives that I would bother with these days. And the main reason is it's closed roads, you know, so you are literally riding that Olympic uh, 2012 route, but through closed roads. So that would be a great thing to do. So, Jem, thanks again, and we'll see you all next week. Great. Thanks, everyone.